All right, that's that. Uh, two things this morning. You know, we, we talk about this, this um, we, we talk about just doing, uh, we haven't done this for a while, we, just reflecting on sermons, kind of recapping sermons, uh, refreshing on sermons. And I, I normally am, am really, really meticulous about that. I'm really structured and, and kind of rigid about that because I think that this is something really important for us to do as we come to the end of the sermon series, not just to jump into the next one, but to, to just create some space, think about what we've learned, think about what we've gone through, and then kind of ask ourselves, okay, God, in light of all these things that have been said, what here do you want to say to me, right? So we've, I've used this time and time again, and I'll say it again, experience teaches us nothing. Experience with reflection teaches us, right? I think it's J.R. Briggs, I think is where I pulled this other one. Half of education is just reflection. So again, really allowing these things to kind of reflect, to think about, to, for us to consider. And then we move forth out of that because it's real easy. Okay, here's the next thing. Here's the next thing. Here's the next thing. Here's the next thing. But just, again, having this pause, this moment. We're going to review all the sermons this morning. Um, and then I have some sheets that will just have a little assignment. You'll have some space to, to kind of go listen to the voice of the Lord. Think about what God might be saying to you to reflect on the text and then kind of go from there. Okay? So, we started this series, believe it or not, all the way back in February. Who won the Super Bowl this year? The Rams. Was it after? It was like right after the Rams won the Super Ronnie was sky high. That maybe that buzz has has kind of has kind of come down a little bit, but the Rams had just won the Super Bowl. Um, and we started off with the name of God as in Exodus. Moses goes to Mount Sinai. He encounters um, God at the base of Mount Sinai in this burning bush. And as we looked at this text, there was these two great questions and there was these two great answers that we really observed. Um, the, the questions, Moses goes to God and he says, who, who am I? Like, who am I to go lead the Israelites out of, of captivity, Right. And then God speaks to him. So they're a little bit out of order, but God speaks to him right below. He says, well, I am with you, right? And then Moses says to God, well, if I'm going to go to these guys and say, like, you know, you're going to lead them out of captivity, who are you? What's your name? And then God responds by saying, I am. The answer again in the, in the I am and the I am with you is it's like the same. It's basically the same wording. I am with you and I am ends up being the same wording. Who am I speaks to calling. Um, which calling again, God, who am I? Like, what are you calling me to do? Who, who, what's going on? Who are you speaks to framing. How do we understand? How do we frame? How do we reference God? Like, how do we understand the nature of God? I am with you speaks to presence, right? The, the presence of God, that God is going to be with us. And then that I am, again, speaks to transcendence. Um, the I am is, is, is in essence saying, I was, I am, and I always will be. Like, that's my name. Like, ever existing. And we get a glimpse of that in this bush that is burning that doesn't need anything to continue to make it burn, right? Normally for something to burn, it needs some sort of fuel source and it would need oxygen, right? It is not consuming the bush, right? So there, it's, it's burning independently. So as God's speaking to this I am, this nature of transcendence, he's also showing that to Moses, a bush that burns and does not consume. That's one down. We only got Seven more to go. Good? Then we get to the bread of life. Now, again, let me go back to this real quick. I thought that I was going to use this whole two questions, two answers paradigm for the whole series. I made it only through one sermon. 
<laughs> and then it just didn't work anymore. But I thought that that was going to be like this whole, you know, kind of reoccurring theme. But in the bread of life sermon, when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, again, he had just fed the 5,000. It's the only miracle recorded in all four gospels. Um, and we kind of looked at how he said, it. he says, I am the bread of life. And then he says, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Then he says, I am the bread of life in kind of context with everlasting life. And then he says, I am the living bread. And so then I did kind of match up the who am I, I'll be with you, who are you, I am with these. Who am I in the bread of life? We just talked about when we sometimes look at ourselves, we are just someone in need of real satisfaction, right? We're often bored. We're often dissatisfied, anxious, angry, consuming. I was reading something about a cyclist. Uh, there was some, some, some kind of a it's a long story, but this cyclist was talking about in this post that he made that he's lonely, right? That, that, that a lot. And I was just really been thinking about that this week is like, there's just a lot of people out there that are just lonely, right? Um, we're bored, we're dissatisfied, we're anxious, we're angry, we're consuming, we're often lonely. Um, and then the, the bread that came down from heaven, I will be with you. We use the metaphor kind of traveling to Ukraine, right? Imagine just traveling to Ukraine. And again, this would have been back in probably February, March, just as the war, and we've just continued to watch it unfold. But traveling to this war-torn country to assist, to go to the front lines, to love the people, to serve them, and then ultimately to die. It's, it, the metaphor falls short, obviously, as all metaphors do, but this gives us a glimpse into the incarnation, that Jesus travels this infinitely, cosmically great distance, right? to be with us, to assist us, to love us in this battle, in this war here on earth, to love us and ultimately to die for us. This is the bread that comes down from heaven. The bread of life, again, in context of kind of everlasting, when Jesus is talking about everlasting bread, everlasting life. And then again, who are you? Reframing that kind of everlasting, eternal, to encompass everyday relational interaction as my friend Jan Johnson would say, a life with God. Everlasting life is a life with God. We often think about it as just like, oh yeah, that happens you know, when I die way out there. Everlasting, eternal life is something that we can experience here and now. And then the bread of life, or I'm sorry, the living bread, I am. The Eucharist, as we take this again and again and again, it consistently renews, restores, replenishes revives us. It continually brings new life to us. So that's the bread of life. Um, then Jesus uh, says, I am the light of the world, right? Now, if we remember this sermon, this sermon, actually, when Jesus does this, he's at this festival of tabernacles, this feast of booths, where they would gather. And this festival, this feast was a, a feast that they would do to remember God's faithfulness as they traveled throughout um, the Exodus, as they traveled throughout the wilderness into the promised land. The 40 years of wandering, they had all these little tents and booths and lean-tos and whatnot. So they all come to Jerusalem. They set up these little booths, these little tents, these little tab, you know. And then they have this big week-long celebration. They have at this celebration four golden menorahs with four golden bowls at the top and four ladders leading to each bowl, right? You can see there's one of them in the background. Four strong young Kohim priests would climb up with pitchers, each holding nine liters of oil, which they pour into the bowls. 
From the worn-out drawers and girdles of the priests, they made wicks, then they lit the menorahs, and there was not a courtyard in Jerusalem that was not lit up by the light of, the, of these festivities. Pious men of good deeds would dance around the menorahs with lit torches in their hands, singing songs and praises while the Levites um, played harps, lyres, cymbals, trumpets, and innumerable other musical instruments, right? And it's in this context that Jesus stands up and says, I am the light of the world, right? With these giant 75, one of the commentaries said 75 foot tall um, menorahs, right? These ladders. And Jesus stands up into this context and says, I am the light of the world. Um, We made the comment that wherever Jesus is not, kind of a bold, um, bold comment, but wherever Jesus is not, total darkness or blindness exists. Jesus does not point to the light, say, look, there is the light. Jesus claims that he is the light. Um, And he is the light of the world, which is, as we talked about that week, it's a very inclusive thing to say. It's the light for the whole world. He wasn't just the light for Israel. He wasn't just the light for the priests. He wasn't just the light for the insiders. He was the light for the whole world. But it's a very exclusive thing to say because Jesus says, where is the light? It's in me, right? Luther says, darkness rules wherever I, Jesus, am not. For wherever I am extinguished, no one sees anything. John Calvin, Christ claims light as uniquely his own. Hence, it follows that outside him, there is not even a spark of true light, right? So again, wherever Jesus is not, total darkness, blindness exists. Jesus then um, says, I am the gatekeeper. I am the gate for the sheep, right? And, and these two just great images of, of being a gatekeeper, right? And again, this is, this I am statement is told in light after Jesus just heals that blind man, right? He heals a man born blind from birth. And then the Pharisees are like kind of, questioning him. They kick the blind man out of the synagogue. Jesus and the blind man have this interaction. Jesus claims that he is the gatekeeper. And then he also says that um, those who come in any other way are thieves and robbers, comparing them to, comparing the thieves and the robbers. So he's had enough of my sermon already. I mean, I was just kind of, bummer. That's rough. It kind of really shatters your confidence right in the middle of a sermon. can't keep a three-month-old occupied. What can you do in life? Back to the, he even knows what I was talking about. He, Jesus says that the thieves and the robbers, right, are those, those teachers of the law, those, those Pharisees, those who are trying to steal and to rob the honor of, of this great healing that Jesus does and the honor of Jesus as he's just done this miracle So Jesus says that he's the the gatekeeper for the sheep. He's the one that protects the sheep. He's the one that keeps the sheep in the gate. He he leads the sheep. He guides the sheep. And then he expands it and he says that he is the good shepherd, right? Um, When we talked last week in in our home group, when we talked about this, this was the sermon, or just this, not this sermon, but this text, this passage I think of all the I am statements, I think that this was the one that resonated most with folks. Um, m- more comments about this particular, um, this, this I am than the other ones. 
So in this one, when Jesus talks about being the good shepherd, he says four different times, I'm going to lay my life down for the sheep. I'm going to lay my life down for the sheep, right? And we just ask the question, if we see this as a priority in Jesus's life, we're chasing, we're desiring to be more and more like Jesus. Where are we making those sacrifices for the kingdom of God, right? Where are we like Jesus, just laying our lives down for the sheep? So we, we ask those questions, uh, you know, and we think about that and we examine ourselves on the inside because we live in a time and age where the, one of the highest ideals is how many things you can consume that would make you a, as comfortable as possible, right? And Jesus' way, Jesus' vision for life is through sacrifice, through giving, um, so he says this, we looked at this, and then he talks about embrace, right? He has sheep from other pens. Aaron Cook, you want to do commentary on this? <laughs> we were just talking. Um, yeah, we, Aaron and I were just kind of talking about this early this morning, about what that means and how other, other um, religions interpret this, this. This was a moment when I kind of went off camera a little bit. We kind of did some off-camera commentaries about some experiences I've had. Um, over the past couple weeks, months. Um, but who is the other group that those sheep that if I had my way would be excluded from the care, the love, and the sacrifice of the shepherd, right? And I know that sometimes in our current culture, in our, in our current dialogue, it's a lot of political divides that we see, right? Um... I know that there's, you know, again, often in church situations, there's doctrinal divides, right? Um, I know that, you know, again, there's, there's gender issues. There's, as much as we don't want to say it, and as much as we think we've evolved past this, there's race issues, right? But who are those people that, again, this is subtle, and I think some of the things that I shared that week, really subtle that the Holy Spirit just kind of says, are you paying attention to how you view those people? Are you paying attention to how you think about that? Right? Who are those groups that if I had my way, now this isn't maybe a forceful, like, oh yeah, I'm taking the ax to this group of people, but we would take a scalpel, and we would just say, eh, not really, you haven't quite cut in. Right? The voice, the sheep are not very smart animals. We're, we're kind of, as we are compared to sheep, we're dumb animals. Sheep's one great gift is to know the voice of the shepherd and respond. What has that shepherd been speaking to you lately? The good shepherd comes to lead us, to guide us, to call us by his voice. We talked about the resurrection, which when we talked about the resurrection, I am the resurrection and the life. And I, you know, Easter morning, resurrection morning, I think I got this great resurrection sermon. It was really a prayer sermon. It was really a, a sermon to really... Um, be connected to God in prayer. As we even pray this morning, Lord, look, the one whom you love is sick, trouble, distressed, um, has things going on. Um, Lord, the look, the, Lord, look, the one whom you love, you know, need, Lazarus was sick. Come. And then there's the waiting because Jesus just doesn't come right away. He stays in that village for another two days. He doesn't rush to their aid right away. We experience that waiting, I think, is one of the hardest things about Christianity often. Um, and I think Bruner, Bruner said that in one of his quotes. He said, 
it often doesn't paint Jesus in a good light, and we just have to acknowledge that. Um, so there is this waiting period. But when Mary goes out to meet Jesus, right? So Jesus eventually comes. Mary goes out to meet Jesus, and she says, Lord, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. So there is that confidence, that competence in Jesus beyond, even in the midst of the waiting, Lazarus is probably already dead, but there still is confidence in the competence of Jesus, right? And then as we looked at prayer, one of the things that I, was really helpful for me along with this kind of just this little, um, Lord, the look whom you, the one whom you love is one of the things that's been really helpful for me in my prayer life over the past couple weeks, five seconds, 10 seconds before I even open my mouth to say anything to God. To begin with the premise that I'm completely loved, right? That we are completely loved, right? The, the whole text starts with, now the one whom Jesus, like this guy whom Jesus loved was sick, right? Jesus loves this person. And so just to begin with that premise that we are completely loved with God and to think about that, to consider that, before we go to God with anything, five seconds, 10 seconds, just to sit in that meditative state, God, that you so love me. And then out of that, we come to God with prayers, with requests, with thanksgiving, with adoration. We have confidence in you, in a person, in Jesus. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? And then Mary says, I believe in you, Jesus, right? So we have confidence in you, not a set of rules, not dogmas, not doctrines. I thought he was going to come stronger for the second round, but yeah. Um, but we have confidence in Jesus. And then the last thing we talked about is when Jesus speaks, when God speaks, reality rushes to make his words true. It's why it's so important for us to hear the voice of the Lord, because when he speaks, reality rushes to make his words true. Lazarus, come out. And what does Lazarus do? He's dead. But reality says, actually, Jesus is more correct. And so Lazarus comes back to life and walks out of the grave. Um, two more. Jesus talks about the way, the truth, and the life. We framed this whole sermon in, in kind of the context of, in John 14, 1 through 6, Jesus talks about going to make a home, going to prepare a home for his disciples. He's going away but he's making a home. He's going to bring his disciples to this home. So we kind of framed this whole sermon around a home. We talked about the way, when Jesus says, I am the way, the road home, that road home that Jesus is about to go down is through humility, it's through service, it's through sacrifice, right? That is the way home. And then we talked about the house rules. When Jesus says, I am the truth, well, what's the truth? What's the truth in your house, right? What are the rules? What are the things that people have to live up to? And Jesus does not give us a moral checklist, or I think I shared our girls' little morning checklist. He gives us his presence, right? He gives us his presence. It's always great to remember that Jesus is not an airtight argument. He is an airtight person, right? That's what's true. That's the truth. Jesus is the truth in an airtight person. And then when he says, I am the life, What's your home life like? What's, what's, what's family culture? And we, we had that kind of time to talk about how one of the most important things you can do as a family is just have meals together, right? For kids, for their development, for their growth, for their well-being, to keep them, literally to keep them off drugs, all those sorts of things. One of the most important things you can do as a family is just have meals together, right? 
And where do we encounter Jesus saying that he is the life? Jesus and his disciples, Thursday night, he's about to be arrested, are sharing a meal. And we came back once again to the transformative power of the meal, the Eucharist. This is why we take it week in and week out. This is why we put it at the center, is because when we really understand life, life flows from the body and the blood of Jesus. And that is what we center our hearts and our minds on, Jesus' life. Um, and then lastly, the true vine. Jesus says, I no longer call you servants, but friends, right? That word friends translated into those cared for from the womb. This beautiful maternal image. Um, this was on Mother's Day, so we, we kind of obviously put the Mother's Day spin on it. Not spin, that's, that's like, that sounds like some shady Fox News <laughs> story. But we, put, we, we viewed it in light of, of, um, of, of mothers, you know. And then we just kind of looked at three things again. When Jesus says, I am the true vine. And then he says, he talks about, right, in, right into it, he says, you're going to be pruned. There's going to be cutting off of branches. There's going to be dip. And it's just like, man, Jesus just right away says, when you're connected to me, there will be difficulty. Right? He, doesn't, he doesn't hide the difficulty and the pruning and the cutting off like, you know, four paragraphs down. So we're kind of, he just puts it right at the front. There's no denying that difficulty. And, and we experience that. Um, I think one of the things we talked about last week too and the second Sunday was, yeah, that, that one phrase that I used that the, that God, I think Ashley was talking about this. God is never closer to us. The, the gardener is never closer to, to the vine than when he's pruning the vine, right? And so we, we understand God's presence in these very difficult moments. We asked what kind of fruit, because obviously the vine is pruned back. It's talked about in all these uh, different languages so that there can be even more fruit. Well, what is that fruit? Is it evangel- uh, evangelistic ministry? Is it like, oh, wow, the, look at this church. It's so big. Is it... Um, the fruit of the spirit, patience, love, joy, it's possession of the divine life, as my friend Jan would talk about it. Living in the divine life, that life with God, fruit for others. Anytime you think or hear or think about the word fruit, it's not just that we can have like all this nice fruit and be these nice people. It's always for others. And then lastly, we ref- uh, redefined love because at the very end, Jesus says to his disciples, again, remember Thursday night, kind of the very end, he gives them this, he gives them this command. My command is to love each other, right? How do we understand love? And this beautiful quote, which to me, I, I don't know if Dallas, I'm sure Dallas said this before, Paul David Tripp, but kind of an expansion on what Dallas says, which, which love is willing the good for the other, but Paul David Tripp expands on it a little bit. He says, love is willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that does not require reciprocation or that the person being loved is deserving, right? And did you guys hear I actually pronounced that word this week? What's that, you guys? <laughs> um, love is willing self... And again, think about that. Like, like think about reframing your brain when you think about love. Oh yeah, it's willing self-sacrifice for somebody else, right? It's for the good of another. I'm not looking for things in return. I don't care if they're deserving or not, right? I am just going to sacrifice myself. It's what Jesus did. It's what Jesus did.
when he went to the cross. So that was it. That was the sermons uh, all eight weeks in a nutshell. Um, What I want to do this morning, and and again, what I want to have some time for is just to hear the voice of the Lord. So I have these little sheets of paper, and my wife and I had a little bit of a printing miscommunication, so here's what's so great. Like this is the same as this, this, but you, you can kind of probably see like this. Anyway, so I cut these out. And I was hoping that there would be a little more space. We need a pad of paper. Okay, you would choose a text. You got about, I would say, 15, 20 minutes max. And and I just want to give you this time. You choose a text and you read it, right? There's four questions and we're using that paradigm. Who am I? I am with you. Who are you? I am. And you use that paradigm, calling, presence, framing, transcendence. And then you just take some time to just scribble down um, some responses to that text as you think through that text. Okay? That's pretty, pretty simple. Um, so it's 11 o'clock right now. Why don't we come back here anytime in between 11.15 and uh, 11.20? You can totally stand here if that's what you want to do. There's a bunch of chairs outside if you want to go sit in the park. Um, there's a bunch of pens, I believe. I don't know if there's enough for everybody, but I can dig some more out. Um, so pens, papers. Um, again, I, the exact same thing if you want to go for the Tetris piece. Or if you just want to go for the regular piece, um, let me just, I'll just kind of split up. Any questions?